Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wabarakatuh Muslim Masjid presents Tea with Mufti Sharing beautiful reflections through the lens of Islam I'm Ustaz Abdul Matin And I'm here with our Mufti of Singapore Sahib Samaha Dr. Nazruddin Muhammad Nasir Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wabarakatuh Welcome again to our podcast series, uh, Tea with Mufti. Here with us is Sahih Usamaha Mufti, Dr. Nazruddin Muhammad Nasir. Assalamualaikum Mufti. Waalaikumsalam. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm fine. How are you Mufti? I'm alright. Alhamdulillah. Good. So, thank you again for joining us with our podcast series. Inshallah, we will yet again share with you the reflections for self-development. And as we go along with our conversation, we'll discover some of the beauties of spiritual reflections. So Mufti, I think you mentioned in episode zero, you love drinking tea. So I'd like to ask an, a personal question. What kind of tea do you like to drink? Um, that's that's an interesting question. I drink a range of teas. Uh, there are specific types for specific times of the day, even the weather, uh, and even what I uh, watch or hear. As I give an example, you know, um, sometimes when I watch a, an advertisement or a you know, come across uh, a Hindi movie or a Hindi oh. song, what immediately comes to mind is masala tea. Wow. Those are the spices, right? Uh, and it just uh, triggers me to either buy one or make one. And I enjoy that masala tea at that point. Uh, usually, it's in the afternoon. Otherwise, I drink different types. Uh, in the evenings, for example, I prefer to drink either green tea or black tea. Just, just black tea with no sugar, no milk. Uh, if I do drink uh, black tea with milk and sugar or a bit of sugar and so on, uh, usually in the morning, mm. early in the day, um, because there's the rest of the day to burn, you know, all the calories of the sugar and, and milk. So different types of tea, and I like to try uh, different ranges. Uh, and I learn from those sort of trials, which ones work for me, which ones don't. <laughs> <laughs> so it depends on the timing of the day and probably... Depends on the mood and, exactly. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, weather as well. You mentioned about drinking masala tea as if it's uh, just available near your uh, kitchen. Do you make your own uh, masala tea? I do, yes, I do actually. It's quite difficult to find a masala tea that I really like. So, usually I uh, try to make my own because I feel happy making it. And I try my best to make it for somebody else too. So at home, I'm very lucky that my wife likes uh, my masala tea. <laughs> so at least you can make for the both of us. Uh, it's not too difficult. I mean, you just put some spices like uh, usually cardamom. And if you have saffron with you, mm. actually I've made one for you as well. You oh, can wow. try later. Yeah, we'll so, look forward for that. Yeah, cardamom and saffron. Um, see, the difference making tea at home is you can spend a bit more time making it. Uh, uh, when you go elsewhere and buy it, usually people have to rush to make because you know they have to. You, yeah. There are a lot of customers, not just you. But at home, you can take your time. You can boil the water. You can you know wait until uh, you know the tea has really uh, infused very well with the water and the milk uh, and the spices. Oh. And so you know it's always attending to tea or cooking with care and love and give it your attention and focus. The outcome is usually better than anything <laughs> if you do it very quickly. Just enjoying the moment in making tea. Yes, exactly. The process and all. The way you describe the whole process and the taste. actually reminded me one of my personal experience back when I was doing my Umrah in Medina. They like to drink milk tea a lot there as well. But then there was one time I was walking past by a shop. 
then I saw this uh, uncle, uh, Amula, uh, they, they call it there. Uh, he was drinking tea, but the tea looked very different. And it looked something similar to the ones that we sometimes see in Sarbat tea, you know. I, I like to mm. drink in Sarbat mm-hmm. tea. You know, I was, uh, it's been a long time since I last drink that tea. So I asked him, uh, where can I find this tea and what, what's it called? He told me that this tea, you won't find this anywhere near here. This tea is called Shai Adni. Ah, ah yes, 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 yes. So chai is in chai, lah, right? Yeah. yeah. You've heard of chai adni before? Yeah, I've I've uh, drank chai adni twice. One in Jordan in mm. Amman, uh, and the other in Malaysia. Actually, there is a Yemeni restaurant in um, Damansara, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Okay. Uh, I think it's called Hadramaut the ah. restaurant, uh, and they had chai adni. So I I had it on my Facebook a long time ago. Because I had pictures of both Shai uh-huh. Adni and I said, you know, I, which one do you think is, is better? Just from the look of it. Uh, the colour is a bit uh, orange. unique. Yeah, yes. orange in colour. That's right. I think, you know, that has to do with the amount of milk, the type of milk, but also more importantly, the type of tea leaves. Ah, yeah, okay. So, and there's so, such a big range of tea leaves and where they come from. Right, you know that there are tea growing nations, like uh, I think that the very popular ones are Sri Lanka, uh, associated with Assam tea, Ceylon tea, uh, also China, and also the Himalayas, you know. So these are tea-growing regions. And also Tebo, I think, right? Cameron Highlands, Cameron Highlands, Malaysia. They have their own set of tea leaves. Yes, they have their tea leaves, yes. It's also quite nice. Uh, So the Sarbat ones, I don't particularly know, but Sarbat tea, it's not uh, loose leaves. They They actually blend everything. So... Uh, yeah, you have different types and they do give different colours ah. I think there's some kind of treatment as well so in the treatment of the tea leaves once they've dried it they might put certain things and that gives uh, colour certain taste to it you know the the punginess the bitterness and so on so there's a lot to learn just tea you know it's a simple thing everything you know we think that you know just order tea it's a simple thing but it can be very complex <laughs> yeah. as complex as you want it to be <laughs> Well, yeah, so about that uh, Mufti, I think you mentioned in episode zero, some of the tea significance of, or, or, or why we drink tea, which is, uh, as how you mentioned, being uh, first having a sense of simplicity and tranquility. And lastly, it's about hospitality. Of course, one of the joys of uh, drinking tea is when we drink with our family members, our friends, especially, you know, sometimes in tea shops. So about hospitality, uh, Mufti, why is it uh, that we have a sense of joy every time we converse with our friends. So is it important for us to have conversations? Um, yeah. Before I, if, if I may, before I discuss about conversation, I think tea for me is important because it symbolizes a few things you mentioned. Um, one of which is hospitality. You know, we drink tea on our own or alone, but we also often, as you said earlier, we drink tea with guests. And therefore, it symbolizes a hospitality, which I think is a very, very powerful value and culture, not just within Islam, but also in our community. The culture of hospitality, of accepting and welcoming guests. And I think that metaphor of uh, hospitality in terms of welcoming uh, guests to your own home or to your place, right? Uh, it could yeah. be your, you know, your office or anywhere else, but someone... Uh, visiting you. I think that metaphor is very uh, pertinent as we think of conversations, as we think of uh, engaging other people and particularly other people who are different. So in this regard, I just wanted to um, also talk about two things. One is 
uh, you know, the story of the guests of Nabi Ibrahim, alayhi salam, alayhi salam, yeah. right? Uh, Prophet Nabi Ibrahim salam, is known as the, the paragon of hospitality because of a particular story. Yeah. I think you know about this story uh, in the Quran. Uh, it's mentioned a few times. Uh, one of which is in Surah Al-Zariyat. Uh, so um, the story of uh, the honored guest of Abraham who came. But there is something very interesting and unique about this story. And this is because these were guests that Nabi Ibrahim uh, did not know. Uh, mm-hmm. A, he, he don't know them. And B, he wasn't expecting them. He wasn't expecting anyone to come. So if دَخَلُوا عَلَيْهِ فَقَالُوا سَلَامًا right? So they came to him to his house and, and, and went in and said, uh, Salam. Now, when we think of this story and think of the significance of it, you look at the sequence of events. So he wasn't expecting anyone. He didn't know them. Uh, but he just heard a salam at the door. فَقَالُوا salama. Then the Quran says, the first thing Nabi Ibrahim said in response was, Qala salam. MashaAllah, he responded with yes. peace. Uh, he did not actually, you know, like like sometimes we do, we, we try to pick out who is yeah. at the door. <laughs> you know, are these strangers? And are they are they like, you know, are they a threat uh-huh. or bringing harm or something? So the first thing is salam. And and he also said, Qala salamun munkarun. So this group of people who came, the, the guests, munkarun, they are, um, some say it's uh, unknown to him, unknown to everybody around him. Uh, and something unusual, so they look a bit different. But the first response is salam, right? Peace, because they they offered peace and he immediately offered peace, regardless of who they were. And that is a first virtue of hospitality that shines through very powerfully. So hospitality is like, you know, even to offer tea, you don't actually say whether you know this person or not. The yeah. person sat next to you, you just offer the person tea. Can be a friend, can be a stranger. But hospitality is not to make those kind of, uh, you know, distinctions. So today, you know, the, of course, we know about the hospitality industry. People talk about, you know, the hotel industry and so on. I think in some ways, hospitality is used in a very uh, liberal way, in a very broad way. But it's nothing near to the hospitality that we actually talk about in terms of a spiritual value because uh, you go to hotels, you have to pay, right? Yeah. And, and the more the, the the more service you expect, the the more you have to pay. Yeah. So nothing is free. They won't offer you tea unless you know you have paid for the. So strangers come, they actually don't offer you drinks, right? But unless you are booked um, customer or client of the hotel, yeah. then of course you get the treatment. Uh, and and then he the second thing he did was faraga ila ahlihi, and he didn't ask them. So according to the story of Quran, and, and there's uh, later evidence to show in the in the text itself that uh, they didn't ask him or he didn't ask them whether uh, are they hungry, do you need food. They, he offered immediately. So he went to his family uh, in, in a haste, like you know, quickly he went. So shows that it's an automatic sort of default uh, behavior and culture that Nabi Ibrahim showed, which he went to his family and then فَجَاءَ بِعِجْلٍ سَمِينٍ and he came out with a fat roasted cow. Wow. And it's samin. So it's not like, it's samin, it means it's the best food. So you have a group of people who came over. You don't know them. You didn't invite them. You were not expecting them. Came over to your place. Then replied with salam and come in. And then he prepared food for them. And the best food. Ijilin samin. Fat roasted cow. فَقَرَّبَهُ إِلَيْهِمْ And then he presented, you know, the food to them. فَقَرَّبَهُ إِلَيْهِمْ قَالَ أَلَا تَأْكُلُونَ Do you not eat? So, but they were hesitant because they were angels in the shape of human beings. So obviously they don't eat. And he, so he said, you know, do you not eat? And the way they reacted 
Nabi Ibrahim felt uh, something is not right here. So, yeah. just, I mean, humkhifa. So he started to to have a bit of fear, like you know, are these people all a right? Bit suspicious. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are they? You know, who are they? Why don't they eat? Yeah. This is like a fat roasted calf. I brought it up for you, <laughs> uh, and they said, "Kalula <laughs> takhaf." Right? They said to him, "Don't don't be afraid, because we come here to bring you the good news." Kalula takhaf, wa basharuhu bi min alim. Then so they brought him. Uh, they brought the good news of the uh, coming of uh, yes. Prophet uh, Ishaq alayhi salam. Yes, that's right. وَبَشَّرُوهُ بِغُلَامٍ عَلِيمٍ So they, you know, gave him the glad tiding of a child that is uh, knowledgeable. Um, so the story then goes on uh, to other things, but I think the in terms of hospitality, the story of Nabi Ibrahim alayhi was first. You know, you he um, regardless of who they were. Yeah, despite uh, being uh, someone we are unfamiliar with, and then the circumstances being that we are unaware of their coming. Yes, and also the whether you need food or not, but brought it out first. And the best kind of food. And yes, the best thing that, that is in his kitchen probably. Yeah. Um, although they didn't eat it because they, they're not, they don't eat mm. uh, our food. So that is a very powerful story. And I, I also reminded the, um, in terms of greetings and salam in that particular story, you also know that Quran talks about um, a general sort of teaching. Right? Uh, when you are greeted, with a greeting and, and it doesn't say what kind of greeting it doesn't say assalamu alaikum but a tahiyyah just a greeting which means that when people show respect to us fahayyu bi ahsana minha so respond and greet the other person who has greeted you bi ahsana minha with a greeting that is better than what they have offered you a dua that's better awruduha at the very least respond equally hmm. again I wanted to use this metaphor to conversations and hospitality because I think Conversations are very important because, you know, we learn about other people. We learn about their perspectives. And that, of course, helps us to understand not just other people, but understand the world better, which is a very complex world. But there is an art to a conversation, especially, Ah. yes, when you uh, want to learn about others and so on. It's an easy sort of uh, principle, but it's a very difficult thing to practice. You you need to practice it, Uh, which is to... Begin with detaching ourselves from whatever the other person is saying in terms of trying to interpret it through our lens. And that is about listening very carefully and empathizing with the other person. So, you know, the 10th century Muslim mystic uh, in, in Baghdad, he said about this problem of we human beings like to put ourselves at the center. So everybody else, right, is always at Revolves the periphery. Around, yeah. yeah, you're always at the center. And because of that, you like to annex people. What that means is whatever people say is always an annex. You know annexes, right? We, we some, most people don't actually read annexes unless yeah. it's absolutely <laughs> necessary. <laughs> um, we don't. So what it means is usually we don't listen carefully to people. And we don't seek to understand them. And we quickly judge. So this problem of, even in the story of Nabi Ibrahim, I think a very important lesson is also prejudging. If he had prejudged them, presumptions and all. Presum- yes, they, he presumed that they were a threat. Yeah. He presumed that they, they were something else. He would not have responded salam. He would not have prepared that wonderful food uh, for his guest. So when we look at people who are different as our guests, uh, that requires an openness to, you know, just to listen and to, you know, to learn from other people. 
And I think it's very important today because uh, we all know this, we have been saying this for a long time, you know, uh, our society is very diverse, community is very diverse. Um, not everyone is like us. In fact, yeah. they can be very different. They have different experiences, you know, different learning pathways, different family context, social context. How do we find something common that allows us to to live together amidst this diversity? For example, lifestyles. You know, we uh, we have very clear teachings in Islam about as Muslims how we lead our lives. Um, but there are people who struggle, and I'm, here I'm referring to Muslims, for example, struggle because they have, for whatever reasons and um, experiences that they have. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's childhood, sometimes it's um, a certain, certain uh, you know, social experience and context and challenges. Um, you know, they are what they are, and, but they are different from us. Mm-hmm. Um, give a, a clear example, like, you know, someone who is from the LGBT community. Um, so the question is, if you talk about hospitality, you talk about uh, conversations. How yeah. do you, how do you... Start off with a... Yeah, I mean... How do you discuss these issues, right? Mm. Um, I think, uh, and in fact, in the past, I've been also asked the question of, you know, there are atheists, uh, either atheists who are very anti-Islam and attack Islam, or there are Muslims who are influenced by atheism. So we should, you know, we should just come out and attack atheism and, you know, Draw the line. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, we need to think through very carefully how we approach these kind of differences yeah. in general. Yeah. And I think the, the first right step is to not assume that we understand mm. everything fully. Yeah. So for whether it's atheism, whether it's LGBT, I think we need to listen to people at yeah. least to understand because that is an, a very, very important part of understanding a particular issue and therefore you, you, you think about what is the best response. There are many cases where we prejudge, we presume, and therefore we say that you know the response is such and such, and it doesn't work because no one listens to you, uh, no one thinks it's effective, and all you do is you keep ostracizing or you keep you know excluding people from your own <laughs> community. Yeah, which creates more problems, and eventually there won't be any more any form of uh, understanding between between the parties or more. Exactly, and you know even as uh, in in our position, sometimes we we are forced to, or you know, people expect us to take a certain position and state what that position is. And I think in some cases that is necessary, but in many other cases, I think that is not the first right thing to do, is to really show empathy by listening, mm. having a conversation. Having conversation, by the way, doesn't mean you agree. It doesn't mean you are the same. It doesn't, uh, just because I sit with you and I listen to you, doesn't mean I become like you. Uh, we had the same problem with interfaith in the very early days. If you recall when, you know, we have an interfaith conversation, uh, people think that just when you sit with a non-Muslim, yeah, and your faith is under threat uh. and you might become like them. Well, they might also worry that of, of the same thing, right? So yeah. I think there are parameters and I think um, that fear never materialized because that was never the objective. The objective was just to, to uh, learn from each other. Tea with Mufti is brought to you by Muslim SG, a one-stop online media platform that aims to inspire and empower Singapore Muslims with bespoke Islamic religious content. Follow us on social media. So you mentioned about uh, listening to the other. Uh, sometimes, you know, when we when we want to listen to the other, 
whether we agree or disagree, how can we actually learn to listen to the other better? Yeah, you know, listening uh, is is amazing. You know, it's um, it's it's such a powerful, powerful tool to empower us, to make us better. But and I think that's probably why it's so difficult, right? Um, and one of the reasons probably we don't listen is because uh, it starts with our mentality as to where we place ourselves. So when we put ourselves again, I go back to that uh, saying of the mystic: when you put yourself at the center, right at the center. And you assume that position where you know everything, right? Um, I don't think you will listen. Yeah. So the same thing in our families, with our spouse, with our children, especially your children. If you start saying that, you know, my children knows nothing. I mean, they're just kids. I know better that kind of attitude. You won't listen to them. And and we all know what happens when you don't listen. Communication can can really break down. Yeah. And so one of the prerequisites, I think, which can help us listen better, um, even in our conversations with friends, with stakeholders, with different members of our society and community, is that element of trust, that people can offer something new, people can offer a perspective that you may not necessarily have, mm, yeah. and, and a blind spot. So you need to recognize that for yourself. It's very important to have that. And always believe that, well, someone says something, maybe 90% you already know or you may not agree with. But if you look out for something positive, you will find, even if it's 10%. Mm. And you realize, wow, I learned something new now. That's always a small bit for us to learn. Exactly. And mm. it starts with your niyat. So niyat is very important, intention, right? Uh, and niyat is so important in Islam. And I always say this, if you set out to look for something good in someone or in anything, you will find it, mm. however hidden that thing may be. But if you set out to look for something wrong that someone does, even if even to if, if you look, someone else looks at that person and say, well, I, I didn't see anything wrong, but you spotted the mistake because you were out to spot the mistake. <laughs> so niyat is important. So I was, uh, this morning, I was uh, looking at some YouTube videos and I found this YouTube video on the discussion between uh, the coaching staff of Liverpool Football oh. Club. <laughs> yeah, so Jurgen Klopp, uh, you know, I mean, our listeners may may or may not know this, but I'm a big Liverpool fan, so I'm sorry <laughs> if this upsets non-Liverpool fans. But I, I like uh, the current Liverpool team in particular, not only because of the football on the field, but I, I there are a lot of lessons that you can also learn. I mean, as much as you can also learn from other top managers and clubs. I watched this interview between, uh, discussion between the coaching staff, Jurgen Klopp, uh, Peter Krawitz and Pepin Lindes, so the three. And these were questions on management. And you know what uh, Jürgen Klopp said at the end? He said, after answering all the questions, he yeah. said, listen and learn. That was his, his, his you know, uh, ending. He said, listen and learn. And he says, listen and learn to these people. So he actually listens and he learned from both his coaching staff. And he has said this many times that he can do his job very well because he listens to the right people, but he also listens a lot, even to his players. And he says, you know, I do this every day. That's my job. Listen and learn, listen and learn. And I, it, it proves itself, right? In yeah. terms of how, how the, the outcomes that we want. Um, so I think the same thing for us. If we learn to listen more and we want to learn from what we listen, I think we will uh, be able to improve. It's very tough. Even for me, I think it's something I really hope to improve on. Um, but I'm certain that you will never lose out by listening and saying less. 
because I think you know God puts wisdom in so many uh, yeah. different hearts and minds, and if you look for that wisdom, you know al hikmah dalatul mu'min, if you can find it, if you look for it, right? They're just people who look for uh, you know uh, dig uh, for gold and you know minerals and mine for diamonds and so on. Uh, if they do that every day, at one day they will. <laughs> They will Eventually. most likely yeah, discover it. So I think that should be our intention. Every day we wake up in the morning, um, we want to learn something new. And the way to learn is to listen, right? And in conversations, I think, you know, different people, different groups, different lifestyles, learn about them. And then you can think about what, what would be the response. Because your response can hurt people terribly. Uh, your words can really hurt people terribly. And I don't think that is something we, we Muslims want, yeah. especially want to do. So... Um, listening uh, and that is part of our conversations and listening in a hospitable way that the person who's talking is your guest uh, and like you want the best for your guests give them the best food make the best tea present the best food let them speak put them at the center and then you understand them better and then you can have a very fruitful relationship. MashaAllah, that's, that actually summarizes up all the points that we were discussing throughout this whole episode. So from enjoying hospitality, which is part of a virtue in our Islamic tradition, and also to create conversations and to communicate with one another, which all of that begins with listening. You share with us the importance of listening and how we can listen by not putting ourselves in the centre, but putting the other in the centre. Thank you so much, Mufti. I'm really enlightened by the whole discussion. I learned a lot in this episode. And I hope the listeners have enjoyed this episode as well. So look out for more episodes in Tea with Mufti. And with that, we'll see each other in the next episode, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. That's it for this week's episode of Tea with Mufti. Do follow, share, and stay tuned for more episodes on our podcast channel. Assalamu alaikum and thank you for listening.